Hi everyone, Sanibona Mulweni. Welcome to another episode of the series From Our Heart to Yours. I am your host, Nokanyu Lulundlovu, a counseling psychologist and an imago therapist. One of the things that we have been speaking about in the past episodes is the fact that in imago therapy, we believe that people are born in relationship, wounded in relationship, and can be healed in relationship. We also emphasize the importance of commitment to your partner, to their relationship, and also to increasing safety within the container so that this work of healing and recovery can take place. Now, our focus today and in the following episode is going to be unpacking this belief that people are born in relationship. What does that even mean? And when we say people are wounded in relationship, what are we talking about? And of course, we want to talk about what are the implications of this, therefore, in the relationship. You know, I believe that we are wired for connection. Firstly, with God. It is St. Augustine who says, our souls are restless, O God, until they find their rest in you. I believe that of all the things that we need, we need God. And second to that, I believe that we need other people. From the moment we are conceived till we breathe our last breath, we seek connection with other people, with the larger universe, and also with parts of ourselves that we have repressed. We want to belong. And if others reject us, it hurts withdraw and we come up with ways to protect ourselves and you know we build these walls if the connection has been painful we want to keep people out but that is not normal what is normal is for us to open the gates embrace people receive people because we also want to be embraced and to be actually celebrated which is why when people have been hurt the most you find them retaliating causing pain wrecking havoc in other people's lives you know we have got this thing we are going to belong, but if people kick us out, then we are going to make them pay. You know, all of us, sooner or later, fear of missing out catches us because we want to be loved and accepted. We want to be seen and celebrated. You know, when you are sick, it matters that people check in on you, that people send you messages. You are in my thoughts and prayers. And you know, when you lose someone to death, you receive comfort when friends and family and relatives travel from far and near just to hold a space for you. It is validating and it communicates that you matter. You are part of the universe. And I think that is why COVID-19 was such a devastating experience for all of us. And it was not just because of the sickness itself, but it was because it isolated you. You were quarantined. And when you lost your loved ones, what happened? The tried and tested coping mechanisms that you have relied on for years in order to cope with loss were not there. They were not available for us to access I mean, we could not count on social support. There was no one to hold a space for you. No one was there to hold you while you cried. No one would say to you, let me hold you while it hurts. No one was there to sing for you comforting songs. No one was there to pray with you. No one was there to read verses and to speak words of comfort. You were disconnected from other people. And it hurts when you are disconnected. You know, it also hurts when people that we consider our friends maybe don't invite us for their celebrations. I mean, we feel dismissed and we feel invalidated because we want to belong. We want to be among the chosen ones. We want to make the cut, you know. And, and you know, there's usually an ouch before our adaptation set in. And, of course, then we start telling ourselves, I did not matter anyway. Ah, they are not that important anyway. It's not like I care that much. But you know that deep down, you actually feel you are rejected and you are feeling dismissed, disconnected. You know, this can happen also. This pain, we can experience even over something that is not as important, like maybe just something as insignificant as being tagged. You know, when people don't tag you on the post, like, why are they tagging me? 
you know, I remember a few months ago, actually, there was a game that people were playing on Facebook and they would tag people and they would nominate people. Now, I think you needed to post pictures, black and white pictures of yourself, I think in different stages of your life, something like that. And it was just something fascinating anyway. And I, I watched people playing and up for a few days and then maybe a week or so. And then after some time, it actually hit me. Nobody has chosen me. I mean, I was triggered. You know, that childhood wound of being dismissed and ignored and relegated to second place actually came up. And I'm like, oh my word, I've been left out. I'm not part of the in crowd. I don't belong to the cool gang. And some of these people who are playing the, ga the game, I know them. Oh my word, fear of missing out was killing me. And you know what I needed to do? I needed to just sit with myself and look within and just see, is this a wound? Am I still bleeding? In which case, I needed to self-soothe. Or better still, I needed to take it to therapy. Or is it a scar? In which case, I just needed to acknowledge that, ah, I remember I was once injured there. I was once wounded there. And it's okay. I'll be okay. You know, we want to connect with the universe. And to a certain extent, this is what peer pressure is all about, actually. It is wanting to belong to a cool gang. You want to make the cut. You want to be part of the people, you know? It's very important for us to understand, particularly those of us who have got kids who are teenagers, you know? Once you see your child hanging out with that gang that you feel like is not good for them, you need to understand their innate desire. So instead of you cutting them from that and you're not going to actually succeed anyway, it's important for you to find better connections, to try and actually steer the child, try and open circles, try and check the, the, the condition of their connection, maybe at school, are they isolated? Are they feeling maybe not accepted? Because peer pressure can communicate that, you know what, I want to belong. I want to be part of people. And I also believe that we don't just want to connect with God, with other people, with a larger universe, but we also seek to connect with parts of ourselves that have been repressed. There's that need for authenticity, to be real, to be intact, not to be in disunity within yourself, because this can be draining, you know? In reality, this fake it till you make it business is exhausting, you know? Dressing up and showing up and trying to pretend that all is well when actually not as well, when inside of you are disintegrating, this can be exhausting. And unfortunately, we are socialized to actually showing up, dress up, show up, rock up that outfit and pretend like you're okay. Put up your makeup and appear like all is well. You know, project that flawless radiance when you know that actually deep within, that is not what it is. It's unfortunate, particularly for those of us who don't have people who can hold a space for us, people who are so safe that you can actually say, you know what, actually, I'm not okay. Because it's not like we've got to go out with our heart open to the whole public, but surely there has to be a few to whom we can actually be, you know what, I'm not fine. I'm not okay. I remember, you know, in therapy, most of the people who actually come to therapy, when I ask them, so how are you? Initially, they'll be like, oh, I'm okay. And then in my mind, I'll be wondering, then what are you doing here? Because people are okay, actually, don't come here. And then I'll ask them, so how are you? And then only then that the tears and the story of pain and sadness and betrayal and poor choices and anguish is going to come out. You know, I remember with sadness, this young girl was so disconnected to herself, who, who, who was so dissociated, who was so disengaged, and who had disintegrated so much. I remember her one day saying, now she had been a victim of sexual molestation, and she once one day said, you know what, sometimes I miss the woman out of being had I not been raped. 
I try to search for her in the chaos of my internal world, but she keeps eluding me. You know, when I, when I, when I just thought about that, she, she, she's looked at herself and she would look at, self, at herself in the mirror. This is a false self. This is not me. This is not who I am. Deep down within me is buried someone who's intact, someone who's nice, someone who's kind, someone who's compassionate, someone who does not abuse herself, someone who does not abuse her body, someone who does not hurt other people. Surely there is someone like that buried within me. We want to connect and reconnect with parts of ourselves that have been repressed. Now, I want us to talk about this need we have for people. It started from conception. You know, we know, and we have also heard, you know, from biology that the fetus does not need to breathe or eat or protect itself from danger. You know, it just depends entirely on the mother. Its life is that of a tranquil, floating, effortless existence, you know, connected to the mother. The infant eats what the mother eats, drinks what the mother drinks, and is also part of all the intrapsychical experiences of the mother. You know, if the mother is happy and is excited about the pregnancy, this vibration is going to be felt within the deepest recesses of her being. And if the mother is anxious, on the other hand, and depressed and sad and lonely, the child feels it right there. While in the incubator, the tone, the texture of the connection is very, very important. The child who's welcomed and celebrated, spoken to and sung to and played with, knows that I'm accepted, feels that I'm accepted. It's okay for me to be. But on the other hand, the child who's not accepted, the child whose mother feels like you are a mistake, you are an inconvenience, I cannot believe I'm pregnant, right there, the child is going to feel it, you know? The child, I mean, the mother is not going to play with the child. The child is right there trying to move, you know, trying to kick and all of that, but there's no response, you know? We've all heard about stories of those mothers who's gonna, who are going to tie their stomachs until the very last day because they don't want to show, they don't want it to be seen that they are actually pregnant. You know, only when the girl is in labor will even the parents know that she had actually been expecting. So in essence, from conception, the message that this child will have received is that you are not wanted, you are not welcome, you are a source of pain and shame. You know, you know of some girls who are actually severely beaten by their parents when they get pregnant, you know, or they are censored and isolated. And unfortunately, the child cannot be separated from this experience. The child is part of the experience of the mother. And in these cases, unfortunately, this young girl cannot even lean on the partner who has made her pregnant because sometimes the partner is also too young to know what's going on. The partner himself is just as confused as the mother. Or in some cases, the pregnancy itself is a result of rape or came out of a forbidden relationship. And therefore, even the perpetrator himself has just denied responsibility or even threatened the girl. Imagine then, just think about it, this child who is being, con who's being incubated in this container, this container that is bleeding, this container who, that is in pain, this container that is sad and depressed and lonely and isolated all the time. The mother herself is disconnected with parts of herself, and therefore the child also does not feel the beauty of the connection of the mother. I really wish I could say that we are born in, in relationships intact and innocent, and then life happens. But unfortunately, that is not the case. At the moment of conception, we come into being with the potential to grow into our own fullness, whatever that may be, just as the aircon has the potential to grow into an oak tree. But the container where you are incubated matters a lot. 
That is why you've got children who are born preterm simply because their mother was chronically ill. And this now has compromised the child to the, fact, to the point where the doctors are going to say, you know what, I think let's just remove the child now because she truly is in danger. And then you get kids who are born with some diseases, disfigured or whatever, simply because their mother was maybe using substances, abusing alcohol, and because the child was right there in the mother. What was happening to the mother was also happening to the child. If the pregnancy is smooth, we are born with that wholeness relatively intact. We come into the world with our capacity for full aliveness present. And in each breath, our energy is vibrating, it's pulsating in a balanced way. We are connected to the world, we are connected to mother, and we are attuned to others, and we are aware of ourselves. But we also come with genetic predispositions toward developing in certain ways. You know, are, of course, these will be activated by the environment itself. But already, already we are packaged with something. So it matters who you were incubated. It matters also the quality of genes that you receive. These are very, very important. And then the baby is born and enters the world. Now, a baby is helpless and completely dependent upon the mother. That is why disconnected now from the mother, taken out of the mother, the child now immediately needs to reconnect. And the child will know it if they've got it, you know. Michael Jr., who is a comedian, has got this fascinating video clip on YouTube about the day his baby daughter was born. And he shares this experience, and he says it was so fascinating for him because after the child had been reconnected with the mother, then she gets to be put on the table, and now they are cleaning the, the baby, and she begins to scream and scream and scream. And he says, I turned towards her, and I began to speak to her. Hi, I'm here. Don't cry. You're not alone. And the child quietens down and calms down. And then he says, and then I continue filming the child, and then the child screams again. Again, he says, I Speak to her, hello, I'm here, you're not alone. Don't cry, I'm here. And again, the baby is calmed down and the baby is soothed and then the baby keeps quiet. And now the nurse is now busy putting the nappy on the child and the child again begins to cry. And then Michael says something fascinating happens. He says, I say to the child, don't cry, I'm here. I love you, I love you. And he says, immediately something happens. The child now begins to cool, the child begins to squint, and the child opens her eyes for the first time and turns towards the voice, connected with the father. Now, this is very, very important. In order for the child to experience a strong and safety connection with the caregiver, now it's very important that the child needs to have a parent who's attuned a caregiver who's present, not just physically, but also who's present emotionally. I want to think about this experience I've just said. Michael Jr. was there physically, but that did not matter for as long as he was not connected emotionally to the child. But the minute he begins to now tune up, and the moment now he begins to talk to the child, the child can feel it now that here is someone connecting with me. You know, the parent needs to know as a child that when you are crying, you need comfort or you need physical connection. You know, when you're hungry, the mother feeds you. When you're in pain, the mother suits you. And if maybe you're irritable or afraid or you're in pain, the mother knows exactly what to do. Put the child to bed. The child is tired now. The child needs rest. The child needs their nephew to be changed. So you are encouraged now to express your full range of emotions, joy, playfulness, frustration, and anger. The parent is attuned to you, and the parent is connected to you. And the parent allows you to experience all of it, the anger, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So the parent does not just deflect your emotions. The parent does not dismiss you. But instead, they accept you and they mirror you. 
You don't know as a child exactly what you're experiencing. You are depending on the parent. So when the child screams, like the parent holds a mirror, oh, mad baby, you're angry baby, you're irritable, you're frustrated. And then this time, when you're screaming and you're crying, oh, baby, you're hungry, baby, you need food. The child is connected to an attuned parent. And then this time, the child is expressing herself, cooing, and mommy says, oh, happy baby, you are happy, you want to play. Remember, the child is in the preverbal stage, and therefore the child cannot express in words what they want to say. But it is the parent or the caregiver or the mother who's going to decipher all these signals. Safety and connection are very, very important. The child, right from there, feels connected to the mother. And then the child now feels connected to the siblings. The other people come and pick the child up. The other people play with the child. And then mother leaves the child with other people. The child is connected to mom. The child is connected to the universe. The child is accepted. The child is part of the whole universe. Safe. This is a safe space for the child. But what happens then when mother is sick or depressed? What happens when mother is alone and overwhelmed? when mom is anxious and when mom has got no means to support the child, what happens if maybe the mother is herself a child? I mean, we live in South Africa where we've got about, I mean, 2020, 2021, we had about 34,000 teenagers who got pregnant. I'm talking about 34,000 girls younger than 17 who actually gave birth. And what is even shocking is the fact that 688 of those kids were kids eight, nine, and 10 years old. So, so think about that. What happens to be a child of a child? What happens to a child who's incubated in a body of a 10-year-old child? A child who gives birth to the child, and then the child must go herself and play. I mean, she herself is a child. She can't. She has got no capacity to parent the child. I mean, I've seen teenagers. I've seen teenagers literally who give birth on Thursday, and on Monday, they are at school, just like nothing has happened. But what do you think happens then to that child who gets to be flung into the cold universe where there is no love, acceptance, or warmth? What do you think happens to the child whose mother is a child? This child now has got to be handed over to grandmother who herself is sick or maybe to the maternal or paternal aunt who is also frustrated and is angry and is bitter. Maybe she is also chronically ill. She's got no capacity to love. She's tired herself and just needs to spend her life just maybe lazing around. But now she has to be given this responsibility of taking this child. Now the child becomes an inconvenience. And now the child is now in a space where there's no one who's going to provide the child with playful moments that are so necessary. You know, these contribute to the healthy development of a brain. Now, because the caregiver is so frustrated and so angry and bitter herself, you're going to find that when the child is crying, the mother or the grandmother is angry. Now what do you want? I've fed you. I've given you all you need. You're you not, you're dry. What's wrong with you? Just sleep, you know. Why, why are you crying? Why can't you stop crying? And then the mother or the grandmother is going to be like, you know what? I just can't deal with this. You know, your mother is out there gallivanting. Your mother is out there, you know, having the time of your life. You know, you better be good. I'm not going to deal with this nonsense. And this now gets to be communicated to the child. You are not wanted. You are not present. You are not, you are not celebrated. Your presence here is an inconvenience. And, and because there is this disconnection now, the child now has got to come with these coping mechanisms, these adaptations, you know, because now there's no one who's attuned to the needs of the child. The child now needs to, to, to not, in order for the child not to be consumed by the pain, the child must now subconsciously begin to come up with the coping strategies with these defense mechanisms because the child needs to survive. These are necessary for the child to survive. 
There is another fascinating clip on YouTube about what is called a still face experiment. Now, what they are trying to portray here is the natural human process of attachment between the mother and the baby. And they want to show what happens when there is that attunement, what happens when mother is available and mother is responsive, what happens to the child. And they also want to show what happens, though, when there is a disconnect. So in this video, what happens is that initially, mom is responding to the child. It's mother and baby. The child is happy. The child is cooing. The child is communicating. Mother is responding. Oh, there's this, you know, there's this thing that is going on between the two of us. We are, we are in this together. We get each other. So the child points somewhere. Mom is following up. Oh, the child is pointing. Oh, mom is, is responding. The child is touching herself, touching mom. And the child is happy. The child is connected. And then mom turns away for a brief moment and then comes back. And now her face is just blank. It's just still no emotion is portrayed there. And immediately the baby picks it up. The child now begins to, you know, the child begins to now try. She laughs, she smiles, she's pointing somewhere. But mom is not doing nothing. Mom, mother is not paying attention. And the child begins to wave her hands, like almost like the child is saying, hello, come on, what's happening? I'm here, I'm here. But mom is just still blank, no emotion shown. And then you know what? The child becomes wary. The child disintegrates. The child makes all these attempts. And then when these attempts fail, when mother continues to be disconnected, then the child begins to scream helplessly, almost like saying, oh my word, what is going to become of me? What's really striking about this experiment, though, is the fact that the child does not stop trying to get mom's attention. The child tries all the tricks in the trade in order for them to reconnect. The child sucks, the child withdraws, the child coos. She reaches out, screams in a bid to reconnect. Does this sound familiar, my friend? Is it possible that when you see these patterns in your partner, they are maybe trying to reconnect, albeit using dysfunctional strategies? Now think about this child. The relationship was going well, and the child felt connected, seen. The child felt validated. The experience was real. I'm here, I'm loved, I'm accepted, I'm playing with my mom, I'm communicating with mother. And then, boom, things change. Mother disconnects. Whoa, what just happened? There's no response, no reciprocity. And then the, child's all, the child tries all these tricks now in order to get mom back, you know, to restore the connectivity. And when this did not happen, the child disintegrated. But if this happens only once, the rapture is easy to heal. But now if this is repeated time and time and time again, then the message that the child is going to get is that of instability inconsistency. Sometimes you matter and sometimes you don't. You know, people change. The world is not safe. You know, don't rely on people. They are unreliable. And now so as not to be consumed by all of this pain, then this child must now develop all these coping mechanisms. Now, can you see how the wounding now is coming now from this primary relationship with the caregiver? Born in relationship and wounded in relationship. Dear friend, you are a product of something and so is your partner. Who you are today is a combination of experiences starting from conception, gestation, and childhood. Listen to what this quotation says. It's a brain architecture center on the developing child at Harvard University. The architecture of the brain is constructed through an ongoing process that begins before birth, continues through adulthood, and establishes either a steady or fragile foundation for all the hard learning and behavior that follow. The interactions of genes and experiences literally shape the circuitry of the developing brain and is mutually influenced by the responsiveness of child-adult relationships. 
particularly in the early childhood years. Conception, gestation, and childhood experiences all matter. Dear friend, insight is a very powerful weapon in your journey. If you find yourself struggling with some behaviors, attitude, tendencies, and habits, you might benefit maybe from looking deep within. Turn your eyes inward, and not with judgment, not with criticism, but with compassion and kindness and curiosity. How did I get here? Re-image yourself. Where is this coming from? The same goes for a partner also. You know, some of those very annoying habits that you have been complaining about forever and ever were possibly born out of desperation, out of a need to protect themselves. You know, they wanted to cope. They needed to cope. They needed to cope so that the pain would not consume them. Whatever tragic experience that they went through, they needed to protect themselves so that they would not be consumed. And, and unfortunately, now these become embedded as ways of being. Now these become who we are, you know. And here your partner is now begging to be healed and to be restored to the original state of wholeness in relationship with you. None of this is easy. The journey to healing and restoration is not an easy one. Creation of safety and commitment to that is very, very difficult. But I want you to know, though, that you are not alone. So please allow me to leave you with a word of inspiration from Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed or discouraged, for I'm your God. I'll strengthen you. I'll help you. And verse 13 says, I'm the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear. I am here. Here at Has Courageous, we realize that it takes courage to look within and even more to do the work that is necessary in order for their relationship to thrive and for those people who are in it to stay connected and recover wholeness. So we salute to my friend for taking this step to invest in your relationship. We want you to know that our thoughts are with you and we're praying for you and we wish you safety, love and connection in your relationship. Talk to you in the next episode.